Hello. So we have Dance Loud on again. Oh, can you hear us okay? Let's. Yeah, you can hear me? Okay. I can't hear. I can't. Turn up the volume? It's all the way up. Let me turn it on that Hello? Oh, I hear you now. Okay. <laughs> so this is Fam Electric Ghost, and we have the Chicago duo Dance Loud on for a second interview. Hi. Thanks for having us on again. Howdy. Yeah, and you have your new album, The Moment, which is a concept album, right? Yes, yeah. it sure is. Yeah, I was listening to it. I like the beginning. Um, like you have like like a prelude and like um like an end game type of thing. You have the, like a uh, what I would say like an instrumental bookend mm-hmm. to the album. Yeah, it's uh, the the end in the beginning, <laughs> yeah. in a way. Or in Desiree kind of explains it better. Yeah, the the last song in the album is the first half of the first song of the album. So it was, you know, with it being called Time and Travel, it was meant to kind of bring you back into time. So to hear the last part of the song, you'd have to restart the album again. Is that song Time Travel, is that really just, is it one song that you split? Or is that actually two songs? Because they seem to very much in common. Uh, both actually, yes, to both that you just mentioned. Desiree had this entire, um, I guess, plan for time and travel or time travel because it was created kind of as one. It's the same master channel for both, you mm-hmm. know, so it's on the same session and it was split. Yeah. But she kind of orchestrated it before we even started the song where. Uh, she wanted a long build, which would be time, and it for it to be almost like a never-ending build. Yeah. And kind of morphs into um, a cinematic, dark vibe, which almost sounds like, you know, we always go with um, duality and death and regeneration. Kind of yeah. gives it, gives a, gives you know that feeling with time and travel, and then you know leading up to Shady Beach, which I would consider regeneration. Hmm. Yeah, I noticed yeah, too the, many the, concepts in one, I guess. <laughs> what's cool about this album, it has like the time travel theme, and then you've got this kind of a progressive rock kind of concept of like uh, found sounds or field recordings of mm-hmm. rain or storms. Kind of reminds me of like, yes, um, when it fragile, uh, it kind of started with like that, a field recording in the woods. Oh, cool. Of a, of a forest. And so it's kind of a thing in like electronic music. If you go back to the original, like, uh, you know, progressive rock bands like Genesis and Yes, field recordings and like cinematic kind of soundscapes are a big part of what I'm into. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's cool that you guys are, are doing that form. Like the rock opera form is kind of a like late 60s, 70s idea. Yeah. So what, what, made, what made you kind of get, go into that? Um, I would say partially meditation can can be one of the many reasons because it takes you into just like how you start reading a book. You have to imagine your scene, your scenery first for for you to transform yourself out of kind of like an out of body experience, but not. Yeah. Um, the second reason would be it really reduces costs when you have. Um, such a pull like that coming from a stereo pair, it takes up a lot of the sound spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it really makes the song sound very full, it being a, a really wide pair. I mean, this a specific, rec- the Tascam recorder, but not just any Tascam, it's just, it has the widest 
uh, angle that I've ever seen in a portable recorder. And for mm-hmm. it, for it to be a 24 uh, bit recording, you know, and then you just SD that right into your session, it just makes a high fi quality port, you know, in a portable field recording, you know, ease. Yeah, yeah I use a Zoom R24. That's kind of similar. That's yeah. been my, my preferred go-to to capture my modes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people will just always put, you know, the ambient, the filler tracks. Either they'll grab a loop, you know, for that filler from Splice yeah. or whatever they pay yeah, monthly. Yeah. But we're just kind of anti-monthly payments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys have a mode, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's another. There would be no point for Splice. Yeah, we have a mode. Yeah, so I mean, the, yeah, it's the sense of last time we talked, I actually, I don't know if I, I got my grandmother the other round, was at the same time that talking, and I've been like, you know, patching it to my mother 32, my D fam, and I've been getting, going real crazy. And like, yeah, like you said, you don't really need splice if you've got those kind of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's our fun uh, little date thing to do when we're not wanting to spend any money. We'll go out in a city we don't know and record things while we wander the streets yeah well field recordings you know using like like any of the the cool devices out there that you can do to grab ambient sound mm-hmm. it's like, and then i like i like to bring them into a, like i have a like a zoom not a zoom but i have a make noise morphogene your uh, rack sampler oh, cool. nice and it's pretty cool for grabbing found sounds because it has this whole concept of like splices and genes and clips and it does like this time morphing Okay. So it, it, it can take like the beginning of the song and merge it into the middle of the song. Oh, fun. Oh, that's and, it, it's, and it's all color coded like a mode. Everything's like a dial. There's no digital readout. So everything's based on a color. And the different colors mean different things on the interface. And so being a kind of a progressive 1970s rocker, I kind of like that kind of interface because it's all kind of feel. It's like what you hear is what you get. And so you kind of like the whole game of it is like the sound design is kind of based on feel. Yeah. Once you, once you feel it out and you find your treasure, it's literally the same feeling like some kind of serotonin rush to the brain when you, when you go around looking all day for a sound and then it, it hits you like the lottery, like that's it. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that you guys on this album, you have a lot of like interesting kind of down tempo cinematic, kind of like new romantic you kind of get i get a feel like a, like a joy division kind of feel like like early kind of uh new wave like it's kind of got this very kind of um i don't know sparse sound but it's it's got the cinematic feel yeah someone once described it as like massive attack on acid and, but we've never, ta- I've never taken acid before. And, and then I, you know, as I went back and I started listening to Massive Attack and I was like, you know, there is like a trip hop kind of vibe to it, you know, that's. It's a tonal, the tones it's that just, we pick or something. I don't know. It's like a tonal thing. Yeah. Cause you know, the one thing is like, I noticed one day, like the, the first song that we recorded on the album was Hear Me Out. And we had, we had added the crickets that we'd recorded on our last day in our tour bus. And and when we added it and, you know, when it came out, you know, the stereo pair, it was like, oh, it's just so beautiful. Because when you're in nature and you hear, you know, the 3D landscape of everything around you, you know, and you'll have like crickets over here and a frog over there and, yeah, and everything. Yeah. And they all kind of function as one. It's like this really beautiful symphony. 
And so weird story across the street from where we lived, there was this dog on this roof one day. And it was, it was just really odd that there was this dog on this kind of awning. And as the dog would bark and these other dogs would bark and our dog was barking. And I realized at that moment that there was a rhythm amongst all of them. And once I noticed that, now every time we step into nature, like you can almost literally, you know, figure out the BPM of nature yeah. around you. There is an, a rhythm going on all the time around us. And I found it really fascinating, you know, especially when, you know, the NASA Voyager went out and took, you know, recordings of space and they would bring it within the octaves we can hear, you know, we kind of, we our our senses are very limited from what we can hear, taste, feel, touch, smell. Um and see and so they would bring it into like you know an, an octave of that we can hear you know and then at that moment it was like wow there's a symphony going on all around us you know we just can't see or oh, yeah nature it. nature positions each sound to be perfectly um uh, spaced out too with left and right you know you got this cricket on this time on this bpm over here on the right side of your ear and then you got another cricket on a different speed but it's still uh, on the same grid. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah, it's interesting too, that you get to the, like, again, in the progressive rock era, you know, you had like Peter Gabriel from the early Genesis, and then you had Emerson Lake the Palmer. Like, in, like I said, if you get into like, yes, they, they were very much into doing that when Pink Floyd did it too. I mean, mm -hmm. Pink Floyd, very famous for doing all kinds of field recordings and interesting uses of the studio they, they had a documentary one time i think they were talking about wish you were here and they were talking about how everybody was on the board trying to get their parts to get the emphasis they wanted and it was basically it was in the recording session on the board they felt like that was just as important as actually playing the instrument that's really interesting <laughs> to, to, to try to capture all the layering they were doing and they were trying doing like this this wall of sound type of thing with all these field recordings and synthesizers and guitar parts layered on top of each other. And it was just interesting how, how that can come about. You know, if you take the nature sounds and you're trying to match it to a synthesizer or match it to a human drummer, you know, and you're like, okay, well, there's all this stuff we got to try to, you know, get some kind of map out of what could be chaotic and make it musical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's, uh, yeah, I feel like that's kind of the how nature works is that you can kind of hear it as chaotic, but it's very musical, you know, and it's very rhythm based. And you can almost find, you know, any rhythm from it and how you kind of perceive it. And that's what I've, I've always been very fascinated with Floyd and, you know, when they were recording Dark Side of the Moon and, yeah. you know, and Roger Waters or it was was it Roger Waters? Yeah, that he, he went home and, you know, he had recorded the sounds of change. Um, you know? Yeah. And when they had um, Alan Parsons, you know, they they'd went, he had said that he had went into like a clock shop down the street and had taken, you know, recordings. Clock. And then clock, yeah. And they'd already had a lot of recordings at Abbey Road Studios that were already like in a, a library. And, yeah, cause George Martin was into that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it's interesting because Alan Parsons, you know, he, he got a Grammy a couple of years ago for uh, his own immersive album. And it's interesting, like, you know, when they started recording at the time, it was meant for quadraphonic speakers. Um, Hopefully they'll come. They'll come back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting. 
It's interesting. Like I was watching a documentary on George Martin. He actually started on comedy records with like Peter Sellers. Oh. And and the thing the the reason why Sergeant Pepper's kind of became the way it was is the kind of layering and stuff that was that you hear on Sergeant Pepper's was actually on those comedy albums that George Martin was involved with with Peter Sellers because all the sketches had all these found sounds. They had orchestras. They had you know, bands, they had vocal groups, plus they had sound effects, synthesizers. So all that stuff predated like Sergeant Peppers, but he they made him actually a really good partner with the Beatles when they wanted to go in that direction because they actually had listened to the Peter Sellers comedy tape, um, uh, albums and thought that that was a, a good idea to kind of take that philosophy in recording an album. And that's it's interesting that they kind of came from those comedy albums. That that's how you got that that structure. Yeah, that is. Is was George Martin? Was he the one that was? Um, they kind of considered considered to be the fifth Beatle. Yeah, kind of. He as a producer, he's kind of one that brought these ideas of you know doing tape loops and backward recording, found sounds, and you know all the ideas that end up making. He had a statement in the documentary, which was. I could have recorded the Beatles like they were in Berlin, and it would just take a Xerox of them on stage. But I chose to, to kind of look at them like a painter like Monet. And I'm not going to paint the forest as it is. I'm going to interpret it. And so the way the why you get Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road in those albums is because it's an interpretation of what the sound was in reality and trying to make it different than reality. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the 1970s. We we see that 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 kind of concept of sound paintings, you know, with Hendrix, with Electric Ladyland, and Pink mm-hmm. Floyd, and the Beatles. And so I, what I hear with you guys are doing that same kind of sound painting thing. Yeah. And that and that's you know, it's that that was kind of the best part was you know once we got kind of towards the end, the last song we created on the album was Time and Travel. And that's where I felt like we just let ourselves get as experimental as possible. And, you know, using bow, we used it like a violin bow on mm-hmm. a bass guitar, you know, and, and at that point I felt like, you know, we were, we were completely pleased with the entire album that there was even a point where we ended up taking out one, the second song we made on it because it just didn't fit the vibe of the album or the vinyl itself. It would have been over 40 yeah. minutes. But you were trying to make it fit on vinyl as a concept and flow like a classic album. Yep. Yeah. You got it. And yeah, and I, I think that's great. That's a great thing. In today's world, with like such so many playlists, you know, and single oriented, to come out with the album like the moment that starts off with the instrumental, ends with an instrumental. That is not like the current state of the music industry. Yeah, we pretty much uh, looked up all the rules, thought about it, and decided to not do any of them. <laughs> the, the new way to to put out music, which is three-minute songs, only Yeah, EPs. or two-minute songs. Yeah, gotta... oh my God, I can't stand two-minute songs. They drive me crazy. I'm coming yeah. from the house music <laughs> world where seven minutes is key. I mean... Well, that was interesting. I had a little off... I, I had like a seven-minute song I gave to a, <clears throat> a label just to see what they would do with it. And they cut it down to like two minutes and 10 seconds. Oh my wow. gosh. And I was like, that's not what I intended. <laughs> yeah. You, we, we went to a Spotify um, conference type thing 
And there was a person from Spotify that was talking and and said, oh, well, you know, you really only want to listen to your favorite part of the song. So we're talking about, you know, only showing 30 second segments of each song because the attention spans have gotten so small and and how they were saying that, you know, you really shouldn't do anything over three minutes and all that. And we thought, no, you know, well, I mean, if you want to take all the creativity out of your industry, you make rules like that because the people who break the rules are the ones who end up, you know, taking the lead. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And every, every time somebody comes up with a rule like that, you know, the Beatles broke all that. Pink Floyd broke all that, you know, you know, Hotel California broke the rule. It's not, you're not supposed to have a single that long. Right. Every, every time somebody tells you that a single can only be like that, then you get like the Hotel California or you get like Queens, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. So, you know, the sales guys are not artists. No. <laughs> and everything, you know, becomes really watered down, you know, and that was just something. In turn, an entertainer, not an artist. And it becomes all about if it's going to sound good when you're drunk. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or it sounds smell. good when you're jogging. If it, all you do use music for is like you jog or you work your your nine to five job, and you want something that's going to be like not challenging. It, you know, it's not challenging. You know, if you if you have to challenge somebody, even like you know, I, I mean, I listen to Sun Ra. I mean, I listen to Brubeck. I listen to like you know, punk rock, and or a band like Who's to Do. And like you know, Hush to Do is not really, you know, the, one of their first albums was like a double double album. In a where you know, in a warehouse, they just ran through it, and they had this Zen Arcade, is this classic punk album, the double album. You know, you, should, you probably shouldn't do that, but they did. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, anytime somebody does something they say you shouldn't do, that's probably who I'm gonna listen. To. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I I remember in the midst of us creating this album, and you know, we were kind of you know kind of set with that you know it was like well should we follow the rules that they're wanting to put out and say that we should create you know things that are you know up to a sixth grade reading level you know that's easy (laughs) to absorb and easy to understand or should we do what makes us happy and I ended up seeing a a Bjork in an interview had said you know if you try to make everyone happy you're going to end up making no one happy but when you try to make no one happy you might accidentally make everyone happy and I found that to be really interesting because, you know, at that moment, it was like, you know, this album is for us, first and foremost, we're, we're learning what we sound like together, and how we prefer our recording methods. And, you know, we prefer traditional recording methods, and we prefer to try to find all of our sounds. And we didn't want to yeah. be DJ and drummer anymore as entertainers and play the loudest stuff. Yeah, yeah. loudest stuff. We just wanted to just play <laughs> well you guys got really creative and i i like i think that this time now that we're in this kind of coronavirus time i think people can can kind of challenge the world and say hey you know the world has changed significantly we don't have to actually play by those rules right you know that i think that, that in the time that since i talked to you i kind of doubled down on interviewing tons of people and a lot of bands are doing albums a lot of bands have kind of, even though they're told that Spotify single and playlist, or like you said, the three-minute song, the two-minute song, a lot of them are sitting down and say, you know, things are going on, and I want to say something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have I have this art in my head, and I have all this time to be a musician and be a creative. Why don't I try to create something like what John Lennon 
and Paul McCartney did or like, you know, what any of the great bands in the past did. He's like, why not try to challenge yourself and make something great mm-hmm. that you like? And I think it's like if you sit down and you put out the best work, it, it will find an audience. I, I think that that has, that has shown itself throughout music history. Yes. And it's, 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 I think that's like kind of its own challenge too of figuring out, you know, who, where, who are our tribe? Where are they? And trying to figure out now here comes the business standpoint of like, okay, well, what are the demographics of our tribe? You know, how can we reach them? Um, and I'd found that, you know, I think really just seeing things as there's perfect as can be, you know, and being happy with where we're at, no matter what step you are on your own personal goal ladder or not yeah (laughs) so yeah Yeah. that was you know our first uh single came out march 13th and that's when chicago really that was you know almost like life in a coronavirus you know the shutdown friday the 13th yeah yeah you you happen to come out right right at the beginning Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was you know and it was you know it, it and it was like kind of the subject matter of the song that you know, we made that song during Halloween time and it really had this dark vibe to it. And it was saying, you know, are you hollow inside, you know, of showing of the duality of humans, you know, that mm-hmm. we will, oh, everyone is half good and half bad. And that no matter how good of a person you are, at some point you are going to be the villain of someone's story, you know. And when that dark song came out and then the climate of what was happening in the oh, world, it was, oh my gosh. I mean, it couldn't have come out in perfect timing, you know, and it really kind of resonated. And then when that first single came out, you know, it was like, man, this, you know, it felt like it was meant to be, you know, and then the second single came out. Um, what was the second single? It was, uh, I'm forgetting already. Uh, uh, Shady Beach. Yeah. So yeah then Shady I like Beach that song. Came that's, out, a great, and here's... that's a great song. I like that. Oh, oh thank you. And that was, you know, we, it was, pre-coronavirus and we're out giving out slices of pizza yeah you get some pizza from some strangers everybody yeah (laughs) you know and then it was like a very quick like remembering of like wow remember what our old life world was you know and you know and then the third single came out of like why lie and then the climate of of everything you know and big news um, everything's coming out yeah of, of the media and you know and, and it was just really interesting that, you know, more and more people are kind of waking up to, you know, that you have, say, you know, four to six corporations that control every single thing, you know, that here you have Warner that, you know, they they have bands and those bands are being played on their movies and their TV shows and they own, you know, media outlets and news outlets and you know, we're kind of all just fed certain things. And and so that's where it was like, as each song was coming out, it just happened to line up with the climate of the time. You know, it was just, it was like, it was like serendipitous, you know? So like you guys were going to tour and that was kind of Corona that all got kind of pushed to the side. What, What had been your strategy for promoting this record since you can't do live shows? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything's really odd. I mean, media, you know, we were really fortunate to get some really good outlets um, like Billboard. And especially as an independent band, it was things that we just didn't think would happen. Um, but media took a big hit. You know, the, the whole world, it's kind of like the year the earth stood still in a way that, 
you know, rate, we couldn't really do anything with radio plugging. All non-commercial radio stations had went to automation. You know, there was everything kind of just playing old segments. Yeah. Everything just kind of got thrown out the window and there wasn't a lot we could do. So we started to kind of just put up a lot more street art in our city. Um, got into we went down to tra- traditional instead of anything new school because the new school wouldn't have the same effect. Yeah. Um, I've kind of like uh, been at a real pause with Spotify just from the amount of research we've gotten behind it. Um, and even YouTube is, is starting to um, kind of tickle my brain too much to the point where I want to pause, but we are getting back into creativity because you're kind of stuck during the coronavirus as an independent. Yeah. Um, and with all the protesting going on, we, we, ironically, we have a song that we want to uh, release as an EP, the uh, dimes that's already within with yeah. a new music video cool. with some street art because street art started from politicians and politicians it's, it's yeah. kind of like a wormhole that you can get into with the the words and the lyrics behind dimes yeah, yeah so that whole vibe of um you know now we're in this kind of movement yeah. feels like big 60s. corporations are coming in everything's small yeah. business so it's like the dimes song is kind of like really touching the sensitive Oh, so that's what the dime you've heard, yeah. like the corporate dime, you know, that they pull off every dollar, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I know this, a lot, a lot of people um, may, it, it could also, some people may interpret it as with the, the feminist movement, but we're, mm-hmm. we kind of got more affected in a way where we've always had um, pretty strenuous labor type day jobs working alongside mm-hmm. being a musician. Yeah, yeah. Just because, you know, high labor can be high pay, which is needed when you have low pay or none being a musician yeah no pay pay. right so we've always been hired as the help whether it be the bartender desiree was she's uh pretty much like we've financed everything through bartending and real estate Mm -hmm. um so we've had i mean that's just the two main you know there's like a million day jobs we've had through the years but it definitely comes from being you know blue collar working class of feeling underpaid underappreciated and overworked you know, the things were intended to be part-time. Before you know it, you're in overtime. You're not getting paid overtime. There's, you know, no benefits, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that you're just giving up your youth. And that's just becoming even more transparent now with service industry workers pretty much risking their lives. And Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a ride share. I was an Uber Lyft driver. And when this thing hit, if I'm Boston, I, just, I had to stop. Mm-hmm. because it was just too dangerous to bring home to my family. Yep. So yeah. now it's really transparent now. <laughs> yeah. And big corporations are only getting richer, supposedly, is what we're hearing. I don't know what's really true. I don't know what anything <laughs> true yeah. anymore. Yeah, I started to kind of look at the budget, and I kind of went with dimes of, you know, I'd seen that, you know, like, what, 115 trillion went to bailout corporations, 7 trillion went into the stock market, 2 trillion went into... The Catholic Church, and then there was 500 billion that was set aside for small business and unemployment, and it was like, you know, we're all being nickel and dimed. Oh yeah, know? it's terrible. I mean, I, I I was like in a bad crisis for a while. I finally got back in my. I'm an IT guy, so I just went independent consulting, and now I can work from home doing that. But I'm I'm kind of a techie, tech nerd. That's great. Um, but I was able, but for a while, for a long time, I was like an Uber. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my music, and I didn't want to have to think 
to do my tech job, but then Uber became like a no go. Right. <laughs> for me for me because it was just as dangerous as anything else. Um, and then we had people that didn't want to wear masks and people want to be nasty to Ubers and like spit on us and stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it got crazy because people had started getting like real political with like common sense things. Like don't infect the Uber driver, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it really kind of feels like the, there's just the climate of the world right now. That, you know, it's, 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 it feels like things are kind of pushing us to divide you know, that, you know, are you, you know, not to go like a political route, but it's just like, are you, you know, left wing, right wing? Well, they're both wings of the same bird. Are you millennial? Are you boomer? Are you pro mask, anti mask? Are you pro black lives matter? Are all lives matter? And so now we're, you know, in between, there's no in between, you know, parents are fighting with their children and family members are fighting and friends are fighting. And, and it's all of a sudden, you know, that it just feels like, you know, I had to kind of step away from Facebook because it was just people, you would say, oh, I like oranges. And they're like, oh, well, peaches exist and pineapple. Yeah. And you're saying that you don't like them and they don't matter. And it was, was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I was just talking about orange. Oranges. I just really like this fruit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I kind of feel like it's, it's a good place creatively, you know, that it's, you know, even during, you know, I was watching, um, a massive attack in Portishead documentary not too long ago. And they were kind of talking about the climate of what was happening in Bristol and, you know, and, and they just kind of started these new music movements, but, you know, kind of looking at what was happening in Bristol at that time is what we're seeing happening in Chicago right now, you know, and how time repeats itself and there's being like civil unrest and, you know, people standing up and, you know, and it's, and it's, I believe that everyone feels they're doing the right thing no matter what in the end, you know, but at this time, you know, as we're kind of on a pause of, we're not, you know, sure how to market, right. What's effective, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what we had kind of originally planned is still kind of going, you know, we're happy to get our album in record stores and tomorrow is going to be the first of three record store days this year. Um, and I feel good about that, you know, but it's like, you know, we kind of finally were like, well, we'll we'll continue the street art we'll continue the sticker trade you know we'll do these things but we're going to start focusing on our next project that we want to get more into immersive and 3d sound and we're mm-hmm. talking about kind of creating a short film that i'm really into stop motion um that would be narrated and i wanted to kind of set it up where it's it's meant to be screened in movie theaters that would have you know 5.1 systems so it can be kind of viewed and heard in the way that it was meant to be intended um that i feel like there's a good amount of music that's being put out and i, I think i read something there's like six hundred thousand songs being put on spotify once a day um that you know the market's being really saturated music's that much easier to make these days you know with you get a you get a mac computer it comes with garage band you know people yeah. put together loops and here's a song and i'm gonna upload it yeah. and um yeah, that's that's one of the things that's kind of like a kind of kind of one of the points that kind of gets me, you know, gets my goat a little bit is like there's so many. Not that it's, it's you know the whole idea of hip hop was you kind of emancipated people from having to have gear mm-hmm. and being musicians, so you could get guys with TB303s and 808s, and you know, and they can scratch in old records and they could create something. Right. But it seems a little more 
to me, I don't know, if you go back in the day when people had the 808 and the TB303s, it just sounds like that, that worked out a little better than everybody on their Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It just seems, seems like somehow if you have a hardware device like a TB303 or an 808 mm-hmm. or a 909, there's something a little more authentic about how that sounds. I think it's a filter too, because of the ease of having a computer and it being so readily accessible. Uh, the difficulty of just acquiring even the hardware from you know before it's just kind of filters out lazy people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like I just think that there's just a lot of lazy work out there because it's just too easy. To, yeah, I mean, if somebody just keeps on grabbing clips and and you know and they keep on layering the clips. And the problem I think also some people get confused. That something sounding perfect is not exactly what you want. Right. The, the part of the art of being a musician is knowing that don't let the computer like tell you that you should correct the BPM because maybe that should be part of the song. Right. You know, because the part of the great songs that were created are the happy accidents. Mm-hmm. The, the happy accidents that are on Exile and Main Street or the way Keith Richards plays, you can't do on a dog. Right. You know, and that that's the kind of point that some people seem to miss. <laughs> I do. I do. I do 100% agree with what you're saying, because there was points, you know, when I, you know, when I first started, Kristen went to school for audio engineering. So I was learning kind of through her and through, you know, uh, online forums and YouTube and different things. And, you know, you qu- quickly want to throw everything on the grid and everything, make everything perfect. Well, then I started to realize that it was taking away, you know, and then yeah. in time. You know, there were certain things I wanted to be on the grid, you know, say when it comes to like a kick drum, you know, yeah, or yeah, a bass yeah. line. Like, all right, well, this is the foundation. Well, we when we were recording, a lot of it was, you know, especially through the Moog and everything, this was a one take, you know, and and there were points where it wasn't perfect, but it added more than it took oh, away. I mean, time travel, I accidentally got bit buzz and I blacked out and I have no idea what I did with to, with the Moog, and I have no idea how to even play. I have not a clue, but... That, that's one of the things about a Moog is, like, if you, when you have Moogs or analog sense, they're kind of point in time like a, yeah. like a canvas. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even on a grid. There was no metronome, nothing. Yeah, I was just yeah. going. You, that's, the thing, that's the kind of beauty of them. If you ever watch, like, Stevie Wonder during Songs at a Key of Life or Intervisions, or you watch any of the great, like, you know... Edgar Winter Group on his ARP um, 2600. There's, there's some things about playing analog stuff live is kind of like capturing a Hendrixian solo. How many yep. different versions of like different Hendrix songs did Hendrix do? And every time it was just kind of based on the feel. And, you know, it's, it's the structure, you know, a Purple Haze got a structure, but the solo is different, you know, every time. Yeah. And, and interpretation of how you play these analog synths uh, they 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 kind of lend themselves to like jazz improvisational or or jam band style playing, mm-hmm. and, and that is is doesn't fit in this kind of grid based world. Yeah, you get it's the only way to get into the zone, and once you're in the zone, it just takes you. Yeah, it really kind of goes toward being like a, a pure kind of instrumental musician rather than a producer. Not that producers are not musicians, but to me, that there's there's a difference between a producer that maybe is not an, a, a musician per se, but more, is very good on the grid. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. and then somebody who's a natural, like Hammond B3, you know, a piano player, a bass player, a drummer, there's something different about that. So it's like, music, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different type of art. It's like you catch a wavelength when you're in performance mode. Once you are both on the same, you know, all players, you know, they're playing a song together. Once you're all, because you could really tell when they're not on the same wavelength, even though they may yeah. still all be on beat together. Yeah, it's like a feeling, and then when you're all in the the feeling in the zone, you know I can see how that differentiates if a producer does not have the um that performance skill. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I mean the grid grid kind of you can cover up things or make it so perfect that there's no room for creativity. That's what I think. What happens is the perfectness of it washes all the creativity out of it. Yes. Yeah, I 100% agree. I'd seen a Joe Rogan, uh, Steven Tyler was on there, and he was kind of talking about this. And he was saying that uh, there was a blues musician that when he would sing, technically, he was late on everything. But he was just barely in time. And that's what kind of created this style, that there was something really perfect about him being almost late in everything. And... You know, and there's definitely something with that, you know, because I'd seen on a, a Howard Stern show, uh, Steven Tyler was talking about when they made Sweet Emotion, and that's my favorite Aerosmith song. Yeah. And he had said that, you know, they he had this, you know, this instrument, and it broke when he was recording it, but they left it in. It, was, it just was so interesting. And he had said that they he wanted a shaker, but they didn't have a shaker, so he he'd grabbed a sugar packet. And said, turn that Neumann up as loud as you can, you know, and he was describing that if you turn that Neumann up as loud as you can, you'll be able to hear your heart pound. And he had taken a sugar packet and was shaking it. And that's what was used as the shaker of the song. And it was really interesting, like these kind of quick improvs of like, okay, I feel it. All right, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to go. And then, you know, it may not be perfect, but in the end, it is kind of perfect. Things will go around it. That's what I I started doing a technique. Sometimes I actually use my um my Zoom R twenty four and I would do a I do a live internet broadcast from my home studio, and I'll do it like a jam session, right? mm-hmm. and then I'll record it. So I get this kind of Frank Zappa kind of idea. Like I always loved Zappa and the Mothers of Invention because they did all these big long jams, like a big jam band, you know, doing mix and all these genres, and so. If I if I force my when I force myself to do live performance, I just go into this kind of jam mode, and then I'll record it. Then I'll go back into my recordings and I'll find the grooves, and then I'll work on those projects because I kind of force myself to well, not force it. I like playing live, but I think if you if you if you give you if you put yourself in a situation where you capture a live performance and use that as the basis of of a song, you can get a lot of power out of that. I mean, the Who did that. All my brothers did it, Derek and Adamos, a lot of the great bands I love. Mm-hmm. That's how they kind of did some of their best work. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of that kind of jamming does tend to create those happy accents that if you sit down on a grid, you might not get to. Um, and I think that, that sometimes people have lost that. And I, I was hoping the one thing about a Corona is maybe people will do more live streaming and and realize that you could actually you know come up with a whole project from live streaming yeah you know get more ideas out of trying to be more no more um ad hoc 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like, you know, we had done we did, you know, a release show that was a live stream and and it was it was nice because you know, we didn't have to load, you know, when you a lot of times people forget about, you know, you'll see a band for an hour, but you know, the time that it took them to load out of their house, load oh, in, set up, yeah, yeah, set up, load in a place, do sound check, then perform, then the load out. And then to load back into your house. It. it was hours. Your, it's hours worth of work house. to play 30 minutes. You, you put four hours worth of work to play 30 minutes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I have to rewire. I have to put all the wires back together. I've, you know. We, That's the thing with a Moog. If you show up with a Moog, when you bring it to the show, it's probably not what it was when it was in your house. And when you bring it back home, it's not what it was on, what it was on stage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you might break something. Always yeah. That. yeah, yeah, you might break something. No, or don't forget a... something, right? There's always that cord you forgot. That cord is like just the one cord that happened to cost 40 bucks. Oh, yeah. I'm always, when I went to New York, I always like would lose, I'd lose my stagecraft because I have a lot of LED stuff. And I lost these like LED gloves that I spent a bunch of money on. Oh, no. And some kid, well, a fan of mine, <clears throat> pilfered them. Because they were like they wanted them, and they, they they I would they I guess I was loading my my rig into my case, and I turn around and I see the kid running out the door with my gloves. Oh no! <laughs> I'm like, oh great. Yeah, but and, that kind of get the price of playing live. Yeah, so so it was like you know you have this. All right, now we don't have to deal with that. But then it was, you know, I, I noticed that sports people were saying the same thing, you know, because, you know, movies, music and sports were it's all entertainment, you know, yeah. it's to help keep everyone distracted. But, you know, the thing is, when we were performing live in our house, the camera and our dog, it really was hard to get into that feeling. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't get the Yeah, you don't get the good interaction. That's the one thing that's kind of missing. It feels um, like you're forever practicing. Yeah. That's yeah, you're practicing. Teams yeah. were describing what sports games are like. It's like, it feels exactly like practice. Yeah, it's just like a practice without the feedback. I was wondering if somebody could create, like if you're live streaming on one of the live streaming platforms like Instagram, right? It would be cool if in your ear you could get the feedback of the likes as like a sound. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're playing, you get to you get to hear like applause or clapping as more and more likes come in. Right. That yeah. kind of give you a little bit of feedback that people are digging it. Right. Um, so maybe kind of give you a little more feeling that something's going on. You know, they they kind of drive it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, I've done live performance out of my home studio for like two years. That's kind of like what I do. Mm-hmm. And I, I found ways to kind of get myself into it. Can I I let my modes kind of talk to me? And they kind of because they're analog, they kind of go their own way, and I, I get I get I get kind of keyed into them, so I, I, that kind of keeps them from getting lost. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it would be cool if you could actually get some kind of dynamic feedback. Yeah, something that's oh, you know, there was a whole other thing. There yeah, there was art. Yeah, there was like this movie we had seen. It was called Ready Player One, and it was talking about you know your you kind of are immersed in this world um, and you have kind of a VR headset on and then you can get, you know, this body suit that, you know, you could actually feel the world and, and, you know, that would be great for the future, you know, that if, you know, as artists and, you know, everything that if you were able to actually be in this kind of VR setup and, 
actually see everyone who's attending. You yeah, know, then you'd actually audience. have the crowd. Yeah, if you got to see all those people on the screen su- superimposed down to an audience like platform. Right? Yeah. So if all of, if you had like a thousand people watching you, suddenly a thousand people show up in these like virtual seats in mm-hmm. a theater, and you actually see the movements, the actual movements of each one of those people in that virtual audience. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's interesting. that Pete Townsend um, had an idea that was who's next was supposed to be a, a rock opera called Lifehouse. In Lifehouse, back in the seventies, Pete Townsend imagined this idea of wearing this life experience suit that where you would feel virtual reality back in 74. Oh, wow. He had this idea that Lifehouse, you would have this kind of virtual world where you would wear this suit and you'd have all your interactions from home and you'd be on some kind of grid, which is basically an early vision of the internet in 74. That's amazing. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's who's so next happy. actually... The Who's Next album was supposed to be Lifehouse, was supposed to be his next Tommy. But he, he had a nervous breakdown. He wasn't able to finish it. But if you look at some of the songs, they kind of feel like they're telling a story because it is a rock opera. And mm-hmm. you're just missing like half of the half of the album. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've had the bootlegs versions of it, so I know exactly what the full concept is. And it's, it's like this idea of being in a virtual reality VR world. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of cool that he had this idea that, that you know, back then we were talking about rock operas and concept albums and you guys have a concept album. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, in that kind of space. <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, because, you know, I feel like in time, you know, especially I think that they're they're now putting fiber optics cable, you know, under the ocean. And, you know, the, the thing is, like, what we were running into with live streaming was we were using OBS so we can actually use a Canon camera and a Yamaha mixer, and we could try to get as best audio-visual plugged in as we could. So yeah, we're going yeah. through a, to go to you say we wanted to do Instagram. Well, then we had to use this Yellow Duck app. Well, now we have a lot of things running, and now everyone has to become, like, experienced broadcasters. Well, we live in an area of the city that was kind of redlined. Um, that isn't a really wealthy area of Chicago. And so we have the maxed out internet we can get and oh, you don't like, have oh, well, we offer here. fiber you know <laughs> but only in the really wealthy neighborhoods so we had an upload speed of 25 megabytes a download no, that's that's like if it even reaches that that's the maximum yeah oh so now you're kind of limited because you're Very, yeah because the actual uh upload speed was like in the single digits at times yeah so now so everybody's been getting slowed down because of corona too because yep. even in the high speed areas like comcast has been limiting people who paid for high speed and they're like throttling it down mm-hmm. just because so many people are on because so many people are home the networks weren't designed to have all these people on on at once right <laughs> they expected there were people be at bars and out you know doing stuff not on the net mm-hmm. um and now everybody's maxing out their xbox and their ps4 and their netflix all at once <laughs> and it's yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting because like we saw, you know, speaking of gaming platforms, like we're we're kind of gamers, and we had seen the I think it was it Kendrick Lamar or whatever Travis Scott Travis Scott did um, um, uh, Minecraft. No, 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 it was no Fortnite. Fortnite. Fortnite, yeah, and it was awesome. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was great. But now we're now turning into pre-recorded yeah, live it's, performances. It's not actual performance. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. an experience. Well, it's interesting, though, that kind of goes toward one thing in the music industry that's interesting is to get all these, like, the YouTuber um, um, whole audience seems to be very willing to pay their favorite YouTuber in tips, like $15, $20 tips, where musicians have to, like, really beg to get that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a YouTuber could be playing a game on an Xbox. A guy like a Dashy or something could be playing a video game on Nintendo and get $10, $15 tips for playing a video game. Yeah. And a musician that has a piece of art can't get somebody to buy it. Oh, it's at that at, at that level, and so, but that makes me wonder if there's an integration between. I know those artists trying to like get themselves in video games, you know, get their music sound to be part of soundtracks on video games. Yeah. Since so many young people take their money and they they'll spend fifty dollars on an Xbox PS4 game, and not want to spend ten dollars on a record. Right. Um, so is there a way to kind of get your songs released into these games and get a bigger, bigger piece of the pot. Yeah. We've been looking a lot into seek organizations. We, we just got accepted into one out of California. Um, And it's kind of this, it's a weird thing that they offer like errors in emission insurance saying that if HBO, you know, picks up your song, now there's a third party that they're now liable if say that you sampled something and it's not yours, um, that HBO won't be held liable. And yeah. so you kind of are stuck using this third party company because I thought, well, what if we bought our own errors and emission insurance? On the bright side is when they they do sink it and say they have a $10,000 budget, it's usually a 50-50 that the artists will get 5000 and then the sync organization will get 5000 well, there's still kind of this realm that, you know, when you follow the money, you know, it comes down to very small groups of people who are running everything. So it's like yeah. that much harder for any independent artist to really get their music anywhere. Unless yeah, they're like Warner, Warner, yeah, I said Warner Brothers and RCA, all the big companies are sending their big corporate acts into these efforts. Yeah. And, and, and trying to get the indie artists to get to the gaming companies when that channel is always getting controlled by the big guys. Right. Uh, you got to try maybe go with the independent game companies that are not as big. Yeah. You know, and that's... You guys are doing like cell phone games or smartphone games or small indie games that are on a smaller, you know, platform, but they still want music. So maybe that's a way to, for indie bands to get into that. Yeah. We had some conferences kind of, that we were wanting to go to. And that one of them was like an independent game developer conference. Another one was the sync summit. And, you know, we'd found going to these things. We enjoyed them for one, you know, because they were always, you're, you always learn something. And two, you know, it was really great just to meet people and we like to meet people and we're both pretty extroverted, but now, you know, all of a sudden here comes here was here. That was one of our plans for helping promote the album. I don't think that it's, it's not doable. We're still going to keep trying and, and keep pushing and trying to figure out fun ways, you know, to put things out there. Now we can, now that even the uh, licensing houses are starting to collect now, because I think they're also at a pause with, since no releases were happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, that, that I've actually been talking to some independent 
develop game developers for the kind of music I do as well. And it seemed like that seemed to be the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been getting into more into sync licensing and stuff like that. Just because <clears throat> if you just do instrumental music a lot, there's a lot of places to put that. Um, and, and there's a lot of companies looking for 30 seconds of like a, some kind of like cinematic soundscape. Mm-hmm. So I'm part of like different like organizations that look for that. And they have pitches for like, oh, we want a minute into this film or we got this short film that needs this background and they want Moog sounds or they want this sound. They'll have a very, they'll have a pitch. Mm-hmm. They'll, say what, they'll say what they want and then you pitch it and then you see if you get it. And and the pay is way higher than Spotify. <laughs> yeah. It's... They, they kind, of, kind of like work for hire a couple grand at a time. Oh, that's you know? great. And it's, you know, it's just the way, you know, it's, I would rather have a Fam Electric Ghost song, one of my full songs, do it. But if I do these 30 minute, 30 second, one minute little things, then I, I make more money from that than I do from all my Spotify stuff. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious the route you're going with it because we have a, a friend who is a YouTuber. She's an astrology YouTuber. And she had picked up one of our songs as her intro. But it was someone we already had a relationship with. Um, so, like, you know, how are you kind of finding these things, you know, to... Well, I'm part of this organization called musicgateway.com. It's out of London. And uh, I've gotten lots of... They basically, you join the organization and you get all these pitches. And I've got... I actually, the latest pitch I got is I have a brand new album coming out on a label out of Sweden that they were looking for, like, an electronic band to put out an EP, and I had an EP, and they liked my EP, and they, they're putting it out. Oh, great. Uh, and so they're doing a music video for it. They're going to do vinyl. They're going to do – and I didn't have to I – mean, they picked me up. I didn't have to pay anything. Um, and then this other pitch was the one to just work on, like, uh, like a soundtrack work. But they, they, they have me working on different things, and just pitches I pick up, kind of like an independent, you know – like artists, you know, just going and picking these pitches up. There's just different organizations that have capabilities to do that. And I, you know, I just was looking for it and I've been doing okay. And the podcast kind of helps because I, I do influence marketing mm-hmm. from the podcast. So I, I get like an income stream from that. And then I get, I get known for certain things because I pitch products <laughs> like CBD products and you know, all kinds of products. You see probably on my Instagram from time to time, you see I'm pitching a product. That's great. <laughs> so that's the kind of like, that's how you, you know, that, that's how you make money in today's world is like linking with these like influence marketing and using your brand to kind of push their brand. Mm-hmm. And I do it at a small level. I'm not a big, big artist, but you know, my podcast, we suddenly hit like 26,000 listeners. So I'm able to kind of use that as my, my, my reach. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Anchor FM reaches like 200,000 overall. So we, our score for influence marketing, we hit like 200,000 K people worldwide on any particular day. So that, that a lot of influence marketing people will come in and say, well, I, you got a good reach, so you can do it. You know, you'll get a pitch. And that's kind of like artists. You got to you gotta be willing to like commercialize yourself to a certain degree. And I'm not the biggest person in the world, so I'm not, like, oversold. <laughs> right. But you can find this kind of micro-marketing at this niche level with all these indie companies, and you can do pretty good without feeling like you're sold out to Coca-Cola or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where you, the things that we've ran into were, 
you know, we had a CBD company out of California that had sent us. Um, and it was mostly like, well, here's some free stuff posted on your social media, you know, and it was nice because they were small companies and especially things that we stand behind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, we thought about with our next project is like, I want to show that, you know, that we are able to score, you know, because I do feel like, you know, especially working with, you know, a smaller director on a short film, you know, an indie film, especially something that the storyline we stand behind, I think that'd be a lot of fun to kind of flex that muscle as a composer um, and to help, you know, you know, music is emotion, you know, every form of art is emotion. And, and I think that would be a lot of fun. And I thought like kind of with our next project, you know, I'd like to show kind of this, the scoring, you know, just to kind of open up more doors of, you know, we can be yeah, hired out yeah. for customers. Yeah, if you do one indie film, then all the directors start finding out about you. You know, the whole independent film world, once you do one film, then you get on the list and then you'll suddenly get more and more work. It's just, it's kind of cool. Like You got to get in that, that first film. But there, you know, there, there are people doing student films. And I was talking to some filmmakers in London and, there's, you know, the kids coming right out of the film schools and sometimes that's a cool way to get into it because some of those kids they first come out you know they've got their degree they're doing their first stuff you get in with those kids they actually end up getting jobs if you if you work on one of their films you know when they first got out then they may come back to you mm-hmm. you know and so that's a good way of getting in can you get them right right as they're coming out the door <laughs> That's, and you get on you get on some of their indie film projects before they get big, and then they might come back and have you work on stuff. Yeah, because it's I think across the board in any industry, you know, good hard work is is hard to come by. You know, so yeah. that's where we've been kind of trying to manifest that. You know, we are able to work with some people to show that we know we do have a good strong work ethic. We can work with deadlines really well. We'll put our heart and soul into everything we do. We're going to put our name on it. So it means that much more to us to make sure that everything comes out as quality. Um, And enjoying. And that's kind of the route that we've been looking into more and more because this album was, you know, with time and travel, it was meant to be cinematic. um, And it was it was meant to purposely line up you know and and that's what we kind of creating this album in a way of you know dark side of the moon and how they you know over and over say it was an accident that it happened to go with wizard of oz but anybody can make a score as we made sure to kind of set up our album in that way where it's like hey well it could fall in line with anything yeah, yeah. well i think you're going in a good direction because even though the spotify people told you two minutes you know if you're going to get into film you know, film directors want to hear songs to me like travel and time. And they, they hear a band that can flex like that, like what you're doing there, then it opens you up to a different thing. So the measure of those songs, or maybe those aren't going to hit the Spotify playlist, like like some kind of, like you know, beat of the week. But but it, it could get you where you want to go overall. So yeah, I think that's, that's a good strategy. I, I think it's, it, it, you know, not just a strategy, because it's an artistic feeling. You, they, they can, it can become a strategy. Because I'll go back to my day job if I have to be told what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to be, I mean, especially musicians, usually we're like, you know, 
you're kind of like you're like what are you rebelling against like what you got you know? yeah i don't understand <laughs> you, you know. yeah it doesn't make any sense it's like why like you know it's like in the wild ones you know they ask him like what are you rebelling against what do you got right <laughs> you know musician tend to be when we start we're like Oh, my parents don't like what I'm doing. You know, they don't think you should do that. And I was like, well, I'm going to do it. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not following what they say that I should, I should do, you know, you know, did, did just go play, you know, the organ for the, for the, for the church. Like, no, I want a punk band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, no, I'm, I, I think I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing like a sex pistol cover. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw a really funny meme that said, you know, parents think it's all cute when their kids are, you know, playing music when they're young. And the second they want to go to college and continue with it, it's like, oh, wait, what? Well, you know, we don't want you doing that. No, but you're not going to make any money off that. The music industry isn't set up to make any money, you know. And then, you know, kind of seeing the payouts from Spotify is, you know, 0. 0.006 and YouTube is 0. 0.0006. So you yeah, have a million yeah. streams on Spotify. You make $6,000. Well, how much money did it cost you to get? those streams. It probably cost you $6,000 to get that. Yeah, you know, or triple the amount. And then on YouTube, you get a million streams at $600. But that's if yeah. you have a thousand subscribers. That's, yeah. You know, well, that's where yeah. we're having your vinyl and your, your physical tape. Did you have a tape cassette for this album, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting it ready. Uh, we had it had it ready for uh, record store day tomorrow. And, yeah. and that's where, you know, uh, it, it was nice because it was like a lot of people that bought the album, they actually don't even have record players. They just wanted to support. And that really meant the world to us. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think people like to, to think people are willing to buy vinyl. And some vinyl collectors I've seen, they, they, they buy like two copies. They buy one copy to kind of put away. Like a comic book collector. Yeah. Like if you ever see, comic book collectors are famous for buying like multiple copies. One copy they put in there, I like guess... They're 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 rating you know backboarded. Yeah, we know, did have a number buy a couple for themselves. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's true because I do have kit, you know, Radiohead's Kid A. I have two versions: one that's not open and one that is open. Yeah, you know, like, like it seems like collectors. Problems. Yeah, collectors tend to do that. You know, or yeah. or even turntablists, if you want to do it the real way, you know, a little turntableism you got to have double the record to do it oh yeah well i heard in new york they have some rules before covid where they were they didn't want djs that weren't doing vinyl oh, oh wow. that's a great filter they started imposing rules because they felt like the guys on the cvjs weren't really doing what what people on the vinyl can do mm-hmm. right yep they can't because when you're on a cdj it's it's harder to catch and join the wave it's it's um when you're on vinyl, you're like forced to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I it's mean, like it, you got to take advantage of the CDJ, CDJ for what it was built for. Well, what it can do, yeah, advantage. it's good for what it's trying, what it's doing. Yeah, but I think if in terms of the, like the musicianship of using vinyl, is kind of like the musicianship of using, yep, like an analog synth versus like a you know novation pad. It's the cue points <laughs> I really like with the CDJs. I mean, because back then vinyl, we had to like. We use we use tape to create cue points. It's really oh yeah, yeah I've seen that. Yeah, so I'm really happy for the technology. Well, CDJs, really everything has its place. You know, I've got my digital gear, I've got my sampling gear, and I've got my analog gear. Yeah. You know, I've got like a Hammond V3. You know, but the reason why you want it, and there's a reason why I would use like my sampler. Do you, you have a Leslie amp over there too? 
Yeah, I got an old, old one it's kind of falling apart. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> I think we live right by the, like, um, a Leslie repair store. I saw it. So I don't know. Wow. That's. Well, I used to, I'm mean, in my 50s. I used to collect things as I could find them. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a treasure right there. Well, you could, back in the day, you could find, you know, there was a point where you actually could pick up a Model D for hardly anything. Wow. Because everybody had thought progressive bands were trash. So you could go to it, you could find a Model, you know, a Model D for like less than 500 bucks. Oh, wow. But nowadays, you can't, that, that's not the way it is. Oh, you can't find one for less than 5000 5000 yeah, yeah. I mean, you can even find an 808 for like 100 bucks. Wow. And then pawn shops. And now they're like 1000 bucks, you know. But you know, I just I was lucky. I was I, I loved the new wave era when I was you know I, I was growing up as MTV started and saw Joy Division, you know, right before you know he the lead singer died. You know, I was watching those videos. And I'm like, wow, and and I just like I I said, what would I use it? And every band new wave band that came on, I was like, what kind of synth are they using? I go running to try to find it. You know, what's really interesting was I I recently learned this, that the very first video that was played on MTV was, you know, radio killed music or what is it? Yeah, video killed the radio. Yeah, Hans Zimmer is the synth player in that video. Oh, that's Hans Zimmer? Yeah. I didn't realize that. And he's so young. And what's funny is of the time frame, the song came out years prior and they, they played it, I think, on like BBC. And they felt that that music video was actually harmful to civilization because it was violent of them smashing a TV in the video. That was and, violent. <laughs> and they and it was it was a big deal, you know, that they when they finally aired it, and to see Hans Zimmer as this young—he's so young in the video. I mean, yeah, yeah, I gotta I gotta go look at that again. It's I a trip, realize. and he's just in a couple scenes. And I had seen, a, I was watching a documentary on, you know, composers and, you know, and what they do and, you know, how they get their sounds. And, you know, that Tom Cruise movie, uh, War of the Worlds, the newer one, when they had that, you know, yeah, was, yeah. oh man, when that sound hits, it's like, oh my gosh. And I was looking like how they created the sound and it was actually made with real instruments. Um, I thought it was a brass section. It was one of those really long horns that are on the ground. Oh, is it that type? Yeah. That's and they blended it with something else. I'd have to relook it up. And so I was kind of looking into, you know, I really liked how, you know, in the movie They Live, you know, John Carpenter, he, oh, in he's all of his movies, he, he would His work is awesome. Yeah, he used to, I mean, I, well, I love the use of like CS80s and ARP 2500s and 2600s. A lot, a lot of film composers use like, you know, like ARP 2500s. And twenty six hundreds because of all the modulation options on them, that so you can go kind of crazy uh, doing a lot of atmospheric type of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, especially CS eighties are very well known because they had that kind of poly uh, rhythmic aftertouch. The poly aftertouch. Oh wow! The, the poly aftertouch on on a CS eighty is just really awesome for doing ambient sounds because it allows you to do all kinds of really interesting things with the modulation. And there's hardly any synth that can do that now. You know, they, you know, the Dream Machine could do it and the, the CSAD could do it. They're talking about making some new synths that can do it, but they always leave it out. But it's a really core thing if you're doing really interesting uh, expressive control. So MPE is supposed to give us expressive control at that level, but I still haven't seen it. 
at the level of like a CS80 mm-hmm. or a Dream, Dream Machine. Dream Machine was kind of like uh, Stevie Wonder used it on the songs on the Kia Lights. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome because it actually had three layers. And one layer of the keyboards was a keyboard that could move from side to side and up and down with expressive control of, of the analog set. Oh, very cool. So you could wiggle the key and it would actually react with the expression by like wiggling the key. And then moving the board up and down would actually make the board sound different. So it had kind of like like a lot of control that you wouldn't have on a, on a synth. It would more more expressive like a, like a real analog instrument, like a real acoustic instrument. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm always interested in stuff like that. <laughs> oh, definitely. But um, yeah, it's great having you guys on. This album is really cool. The record store day. Everybody needs to go get your new album. Uh, the moment on whatever. So it's going to be available record store day on tape and vinyl at the same time. Yeah. Or is tape the primary thing for record store day? No. On Both? the website or uh, Chicagoland stores. Yeah. Cool. We have like, we, we have a store, uh, vintage vinyl, uh, Minneapolis, Cincinnati uh, is um, electric fetus. And then uh, we just sent out this week to Cincinnati to everybody records and cool. we've got it in most of the Chicago stores here. So that was kind of a big goal of ours is, is to get it. Yeah, it's cool to get it in the local stores. They get your, your local fans. Have been, they've been digging it. Yeah, the sales have been good. We actually stopped into a lot of stores about a month ago, and all of them have been selling. So we've been That's really good. excited about that. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening to our album and having us on here. It's it's so great to you know talk to you. You talk to us when we're in the midst of creating it. Now we can actually we're able to dive in a little bit more of like how it was created, and we can use some some more technical terminology on your your podcast. And it's always much much more of a different experience and enjoyable. Well, thank you. I, I love talking to musicians. You know, and I talk to all I talk to producers. I talk to DJs, but. I, I love talking to musicians, so like I love you guys coming on the show and um, dance loud. If you guys, when you have their next project, feel free to let me know and we'll, we'll do another show. Definitely. Oh yes, it's gonna come with some film and maybe if uh, well, <laughs> life lets me, it's it's it'll be in virtual reality file format. <laughs> well, we do have a new form show where we do um, a video version but if you're having like the uh, bandwidth problems it probably wouldn't work but we do have an optional show where we go on Streamyard, and we actually are able to be on um live on youtube or facebook live as we talk yeah Streamyard. yeah 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 so we've we've started doing that we've only done five video podcasts so far because a lot of people have problems in this time with their bandwidth Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, so we were like, "Oh, well, this doesn't work everywhere." <laughs> yeah. So, so we kind of defaulted back to the audio, um, but we were hoping that you know this that everybody's access gets better, and then we'll start doing more of the video ones. We're at the point we're gonna drag our little mixer, laptop, and a microphone to the wealthier neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well let us know if you ever want to do the video one we if you're ready to do it on our phone we'll be fine <laughs> yeah definitely okay well thank you again for having us it's always a pleasure talking to you okay thank you have a good night you too goodbye